appreciate that very much. It's a joy to be uh, here today and uh, to be uh, among our children. Um, in uh, many respects, as already stated, our church uh, sent the Montoro family here many years ago. And uh, our church has played a part in this church and its development through the years. We've sent some work crews up here and also sent some work crews over to uh, uh, to the other church that has been birthed out of this church. And so it's a, it's a blessing to be a, among you and uh, great, grateful to uh, come. I, I have to just be honest, uh, New York City is not my favorite place to come to. Uh, it is Cleveland on steroids a hundred times over, all right? And uh, so all the traffic, all the noise, all the people. I do like being around people. It's just that I don't like to be in a funnel that funnels everything together and backlogs it up for about an hour. That's the only difficulty. If we could make it some other way, that would be great. But uh, other than that, uh, it's sure joy, joy to be here. I enjoy being with the men the last few days. Uh, we were up in New Hampshire for the men's meeting, had the opportunity to preach there, and had a great time with the guys. And uh, we, I believe the Lord met with us in some great things. And so it's, it's a joy to be here this morning. And I bring you greetings from uh, Cleveland Baptist Church. And as already been stated, we are in a in a transition period, um, our church in November of 2016 voted my son in to be my co-pastor with the idea that either upon my death or my resignation, he'd automatically become uh, the pastor. And then I announced this year in uh, the 1st of June that I was in my last year and that next year, uh, on June the 2nd, would be my final Sunday as the pastor of the Cleveland Baptist Church. And so they are, uh, we are transitioning and uh, we're thankful for the fact that the church continues on this last uh, August, the second Sunday of August this year, our, uh, our church celebrated its 60th anniversary. And so when you only have two pastors in 60 years, that's a little bit unusual. And we are transitioning to the third pastor. But uh, again, it's just been good through the years. God has blessed the Cleveland Baptist Church. Some of you have had the, the, uh, we've had the privilege of having you come through and visit with us. And if you're ever passing through Cleveland, we'd love for you to stop and be a part of the, one of the services there. I think you'd enjoy it. And uh, we're thankful for the blessing of, of just being able to partner with you and, and be a part of what God is doing here. And sure enjoyed the music this morning. Thank you so very much. It was a blessing uh, to hear good music and to uh, obviously be in a place where you hear that kind of thing on a regular basis. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I invite you to meet me, if you would, in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5, please, is where our text will be this morning. And I want to speak to you on Jesus, the powerful Savior. Jesus, a powerful Savior. Uh, we're thankful for a Savior who has all ability and all power. And we see that demonstrated in, in various passages in the New Testament. Here in Mark chapter 5, it's one of my favorite stories of Jesus dealing with a, a demon-possessed man. And how he handled that situation is encouraging and helpful. I, and I believe there's a, there are lessons there for us this morning. If you're able to stand and you can stand, would you please give reverence to God's Word as we read this passage together. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down to verse number 20, please. And the Bible says, And they, speaking of Jesus and His disciples, came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes. And when He was come out of the ship, immediately there met Him, uh, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Notice, please, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran 
and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. He said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And, and forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And there were about 2,000 were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to see Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. When he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for another Lord's Day, in which Lord Churches, the people of God, Lord, can gather and congregate and have meetings of the churches across our country and across this world. And Lord, we're privileged today to call you our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, for those who are members of this church, they're privileged to be a part of a body of Christ. Lord, I thank you today for the privilege to stand before them and I pray that you'd help me. Lord, as I attempt to preach this passage, Lord, I know that without your help, we're not going to do much. But Lord, with your help, great things can happen. So we pray for your power. We pray for your anointing. We pray, Father, that you do some powerful things in our hearts and our lives today, specifically in this service. Thank you for these dear people, and we pray your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I don't suppose we're always aware of it, but perhaps we should be. But we are living in a world that is dominated in many respects by spiritual activity. I don't know that we honestly think about that, but truthfully, as you go about your business every day and you see physical beings, there are, there are no doubt spiritual activity going on in people's lives. For those of us who are saved, of course, we carry the Holy Spirit of God with us and He's to control us and direct us and help us in the things that we do. But the unsaved, the Bible says, are of their father, the devil. And they go about doing his work and his will. And sometimes I don't think they realize that they're doing the devil's will. And we even know there are some people that are even possessed, in, in, even in this day and age in which we're living, with, with, with demons who, who obviously have given themselves over to the control of, of the wicked one. When we think about it, before there was an earth, there was God. And every creature in form of creation comes from God our Creator. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, for by him, speaking of God, Jesus Christ, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth. Listen, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. 
And so when we think about the discussion there, or the text in Colossians, it's speaking of thrones and dominions, it's speaking of the spiritual realm. God created the seen world, we know that, we're living in it. We understand that God is our creator. But there's also an unseen world. And the Bible tells us the unseen world is a, has a spiritual dimension. And besides God, there are spiritual beings that, that, are, that, that are known as angels. And among the angels, the Bible speaks of uh, certain types of angels being cherubims and some being seraphims or, and, and speaks of angels of different ranks. Many of them obviously are great, but with limited power and privilege. These angels, of course, were created to do the will of God. So in other words, just like God created man, placed him here to love him and serve him, God created the spiritual realm, the realm of angels to do his will. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 7 says, And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? So the idea of the angels being ministers or servants of the Lord uh, messengers to do the will of God. And so angels, think about this, have assignments to minister and to watch over those of us who are children by faith. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, Are not they all, speaking of the angels, ministering spirits, sent forth to minister to for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And so uh, as we think about that, we've often heard the term guardian angel. Now, whether all of us have a specific Angel that watches over us or not, I don't know. But I, I've been in places where I've seen God do some amazing things that I think has spared me uh, perhaps from, from some, maybe even an untimely death. I was over in Africa several years ago, and I, ha- I have to tell you, I, I thought I was certainly going to die as I looked at a bus that was coming at me, and I thought to myself, well, this is where I'm going to, uh, uh, this is where I'm going home. <laughs> I just thought to myself, this is probably where it's going to end, and I couldn't see any possible way, but I have to tell you that just at the last moment, we were able to get around a vehicle and, uh, and avoid this head-on collision, but I, I don't know if the angels were involved in that, but I have to think that maybe they were. And certainly I was grateful for a guardian angel at that moment in my life. So among the angel, angelic hosts, obviously that God created, there was one high-ranking, powerful, created being named Lucifer. We can read about him, of course, throughout the pages of Scripture, but the Bible tells us that Lucifer was not satisfied with the lofty position that he was given. We understand there may be two angels besides Lucifer whose names are given to us. Uh, we know Michael is an angel that is his name, and, and uh, Gabriel is another angel that is named, but Lucifer is also an angel that is named. And many believe that these were kind of a, a trinity of angels that had given, been given this great power. And Lucifer himself rebels against God and wanted to be God. That's what the Bible te- teaches us. And he led a rebellion in heaven and he faced God's judgment. Obviously, he was created to do the will of God, but he wasn't satisfied to do that. He wanted God's position, and so he fights against God. If you want to take some time to read two passages, Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, reference that particular moment in that particular time. Well, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he obviously shares with us that this place that we know of is hell. You know, we speak of hell and we speak of the fact that it is the Obviously, the destination of every person that refuses to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the Bible teaches us that originally God did not prepare hell for humanity. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. We read in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Listen, prepared 
for the devil and his angels. So uh, as we think about what the Bible says, God's original intention in preparing this place called hell was not for humanity, for, for, for people, but he prepared it for the devil and his angels. And so the Bible teaches that there is, just as there's good and righteous spiritual forces at work in the world, there are wicked and evil spiritual forces at work in our world. And because of Satan and a poor decision by Adam, our world has been, think about this, plunged into sin. And obviously when the fall comes, there comes a curse. And as human beings, we are born because we all can combine our ancestry back to one common parent, back to a place called the Garden of Eden. The Bible shares with us that we're born with this sin nature. So we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice. We come into this world with this nature that is bent on its own way and literally against the things of God. And it's only as we come into contact with a gospel message and someone shares the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left the heavens and came to this earth so that He may deal with our sin and, and help us and, and redeem us and give us the ability to live our life in, in the way that God originally intended. And so as a result of that, there's a, uh, our lot in, in life, and, and originally, as we're born here, is to live in a fallen, broken world. And the end result, of course, in a, is a, in, of our sin means that we would spend eternity separated from God. But aren't you glad today that there's a Savior by the name of Jesus Christ? If you're saved this morning, your heart ought to rejoice in the fact that you've been born again, uh, that your sins have been dealt with, that God has not destined you to, to hell, but He's given you a place in heaven and uh, it's going to be a marvelous moment when we arrive there. Of course, the purpose of Christ's coming was to make sufficient payment for our sin that thus satisfied God. And he did that when he died upon the cross. So as we come today, we understand the spiritual struggles that play out in our world every day. The devil works. Think about this. He's working in the spirit realm and he's doing several things. First of all, there are things he's doing in the lives of people to keep them from coming to Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I've had many of opportunity to be out witnessing to someone. And it seems like I'm making great progress. And all of a sudden, something happens. As I'm sharing Christ with that individual, the phone rings or, or you know, there's some, some sort of interruption. And it's, it's almost as if, you know, it's like the, uh, the devil himself steps into the situation and kind of flips a switch and that person no longer is interested or is engaged as they once were. And, and so we understand that the devil can work in that way. Uh, but he also many times works to hinder you and I from being everything that God wants us to be. God obviously wants you and he wants me to live a victorious Christian life. And, and if we're not careful, though we are children of God, we can allow the devil, obviously, to hinder us from being all that God wants us to be. As New Testament believers, we are involved in this spiritual struggle. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 for just a moment, if you would. And look at three verses that are found there. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 10. Paul, of course, instructing the church at Ephesus in regards to this very matter that we're talking about. Notice what he says there in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice, please, for we, that's you and I, those of us are safe, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, one of the things that you and I should be very grateful for this, this morning is the fact that God has provided for us a armament, a, an armor that we can put on ourselves. But we must do that on a regular basis. We're to make sure that we have the armor of God on our life before you head out to work tomorrow, before you go to the place where you're going to be in, in the world even today. We need to have the armor of God on so that we can do this, this battle that the Bible speaks of. So as we go back to our text, we see in our text we're seeing some spiritual struggles playing out in the days of Jesus. So as we think about our Savior, you and I know that Jesus is God in the flesh. And while he came to die during his earthly life and ministry, we see the great power of God displayed upon him. In other words, one of the reasons that people knew he was the Son of God is because of the things that he did. Of course, he didn't just say it. And the Bible doesn't just talk about it, but it was on display as he lived here in this world. Interestingly enough, Jesus' power wasn't used for selfish purposes. I find it interesting that when Jesus was tempted of the devil, when he was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, they had the 40 days of fasting and, and he didn't eat. When the devil came tempting him and said, hey, look, you can, well, if you're the son of God, just make that, that, call that stone and make it bread. Well, could, could he do that? Of course he could. He had that ability. He could have spoken the words. He could have put a whole spread out in front of him. You talk about, about a buffet meal. He could have called it into existence, but he chose to follow the direction of his father and live by the word of God and submitted himself to that. And so I'm just simply saying he did not use his power for his own benefit, but rather demonstrates in the physical world the great power of God. And we certainly see that in this story. Would you notice, first of all, as we look at this story today, would you notice the challenge to the Lord's authority? We find that here in our text. Look at verses 1 and 2 again, please, as we think about this. And they came to unto the other side of the sea, under the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Look at verses 6 and 7 as well. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. So when we think about this challenge, there are several things that I point out to you. Would you notice, first of all, there's a challenge to Christ immediately. In verse number 2, the Bible indicates that from the passage, that as soon as Jesus and his disciples get to this, this port or this place where their ship comes ashore, as they've made their way across the Sea of Galilee, they come into the country of the Gadarenes. And as we think about, you know, what we call context, part of what helps us understand certain things about the Bible is understanding background and understanding uh, the truth that's contained in the wording and even the context of a passage. So in the days of Moses, as we think about the land of Israel, obviously the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they're going to come across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and conquer it. But you also may remember there were two and a half tribes that came to Moses on the other side of the river and said, hey, look, we want this land. We, we've already conquered these kings. Is it possible for us to have this, this area? And, and of course, they, uh, Moses gave them or granted them their request based on the fact that when the children of Israel came across the Jordan River, that those men of those tribes would come with them until that land was conquered. And so, as we fall, think about this land, part of that was called the land of Gad. Remember that? Or given to the tribe of Gad. And so it becomes the country of the Gadarenes. And, and so it falls to the, to the tribe of Gad. And it's during the days of Jesus that this was a place 
in those days that the Gentiles dwelled. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question, well, why did they dwell there? Well, obviously, if they're on the other side of Jordan, uh, they're, they're surrounded by some of the, uh, obviously, Gentile nations and some of the false gods. And so it would seem like there was just like this uh, encroachment, so to speak, into the, the land of Gad. And so during the days of Jesus, Gentiles dwelled there. And Jesus primarily, while he came to come to his own people, the, the nation of Israel, periodically he did touch the Gentiles. And we see that here. Now, in the previous chapter, we find that Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee at night. And Mark tells us in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, that they, that they faced the storm. So they're coming across the sea, and in, in the middle of this night, the storm sweeps into the, into the point, to almost that it looks as if they're going to die. And Jesus, of course, steps forward and calms the storm. There have been some who have suggested that perhaps the devil was trying to keep Jesus from getting to the other side, because this was one of his strongholds. But notice as soon as Jesus comes out of the ship, he's met by this, what I call, wild-eyed maniac. This man who we know as uh, the maniac of Gadaria. And this guy is controlled by the devil, and he wastes no time as he approaches Jesus. And the indication is, by his fast approach, that uh, in, in some respects, that there was this challenge. Even though he falls before Christ, it's as if he's rushing towards him, almost as if it's a challenge. So it was immediate, but would you also look at the fact that it perhaps could be a bit intimidating, according to verse number two, that as soon as he comes out of the ship, he's met by this man with this unclean spirit. Matthew's gospel tells us that there were two demon-possessed mans, and I agree with Pastor Montoro as he was teaching the lesson this morning. Many times the Bible is not giving us contradictory information other than the fact that at times one of the authors says, look, I'm just going to zero in on one of the men. And, and certainly I would say that that was the case here. Mark seems to focus on what we call the vocal one, the one who's speaking. And, and yet I want you to listen to the description of what's given to us in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. It says, and when he was coming to the other side of the country of the Gagarines, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. Listen, exceeding fears so that no man might pass that way. Now, would you, as a human being, if you were living and you were with Jesus, that would be just a little bit intimidating, uh, even in, in, in those days. Now, I, I don't know about your habits, but sometimes during the summer months, uh, because I'm, uh, I, I need to get a little bit of exercise, I find myself sometimes getting up somewhat early in the morning. Well, I, I wake most mornings early anyway, but in the summer I can get out and do, get a little bit of exercise, try to go for a walk. Sometimes I get up and, and, and uh, in the summer, and the su as the sun's coming up about 5.30 or so, Get out of the house a little bit before six and go for about a two or three mile walk so I can get some some exercise in before the day gets started. Not down the end of my street. There is a cemetery and uh, a part of that would be a, a, a place where I would find myself perhaps walking. But I'll tell you this. I don't know that I'd walk there. Every time I went by, there was some kind of wild eyed maniac. Uh, you know, a little bit frightening and, and, and a little bit intimidating coming after me, I'd probably decide, you know, it's probably not a place I'm going to walk. I'd probably go some other place and because it'd be just a little bit intimidating. And, and so we would look at this situation and, and, and for the average person, they'd say, look, this is the tombs. This is where that maniac was. I'm not going there. But I'm glad Jesus did. While it was intimidating to others, it wasn't intimidating to Jesus. Could I share with you that uh, as I think about this 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 moment, it was ill-advised. Look at verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, But when they saw Jesus, these ones who were trying to intimidate, when they saw Jesus afar off, He ran and worshipped Him. 
and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now this man, according to these verses, came and, think about this, he prostrated himself before the Lord. That's what the word worship means. We many times have a wrong idea what the word worship means. We have this idea that it's, and, and I'm, I'm not have, have a problem with raising a person's hands if, if God is moving you, and, and it's a blessing. I, I, I was moved by some of the singing of the men at the men's meeting, and I, I found myself saying, man, that's good. You know? and, but, but in and of itself, that's not necessarily worship. The word itself means to prostrate yourself before. In other words, to give worth to and seeing yourself as being unworthy. And so you prostrate yourself before the one who you are worshiping. And so we find this man, this this man comes and he crouches himself before the Lord. And think about this. He was convinced from what the scripture tells us here that Jesus had not come to help him, but he had come to torment him. Can I tell you this? The devil always lies. He never tells the truth. He's always telling a lie. And he deceives people into thinking that Jesus comes to make your life difficult. He wants people to believe that there's no way that, that loving and serving Jesus can bring you joy and fulfillment. But those of us who love and serve Jesus know differently that there is joy and there is fulfillment in loving Jesus Christ. This man thought he was going to be tormented by Christ when in reality he was going to be helped by him and set free. So, would you notice secondly here t- today in verses 2 through five, we have what I call the sad state of this man. In verse number two, we see his sad state spiritually. The Bible says he has an unclean spirit. When the New Testament uses those words, speaking of an unclean spirit, it's referring to those who are possessed by demons. This references people who's, who are indwelt or possessed or controlled or tormented by these fallen angels that we spoke of in the introduction. So as we think about this, here's a man who has these This unclean spirit, but this guy had many demons, according to verse number nine. The Bible says when he was asked his name, he said, my name is Legion. And obviously it it was to the fact that he referenced the fact that he had many devils in him. Do you understand or do you know that a Roman legion was over 6,000 men? It's what a legion was. Now, whether that's figurative or actual in the life of this man, we know that he had many Many demons living in him. In fact, so much so that when Jesus displaced them, when he cast them out of the man, and they went into the, the, into the swine, there were 2,000. And verse 13 says that those swine go berserk and run down the steep place. And so, as we think about his, his sad state spiritually, but he also is living in a sad state physic, physically. Listen, he's living among the tombs. Verse number 3. Again, most of us don't live among dead people. We don't think that it's, it's, it's proper to live in a cemetery. Now, again, there may be somebody that has a, as, you know, has a situation where they're a groundskeeper and, and they're, they're part of their pay is a, a place that's been furnished and it's on the grounds of a cemetery. But most people don't live among the dead. They, they don't live in a cemetery. But this man was living there. He was at home there. Notice that he had supernatural strength. He was bound with chains and fetters. But because of these demons inside of him, he was able to pluck uh, the chains and the fetters apart. And, and he tries to physically hurt himself. Look at verse number five. Always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Here was a man trying to obviously do himself damage based on the fact that the devil wasn't making his life good. It was making his life terrible. And he was in agony. So he said, I, I just assumed." End my life, perhaps trying to take his own life. 
Notice his torment. His life wasn't pleasing or peaceful as evidenced by the shrieks and the cries referenced in verse number five. The Bible says he also was naked and wore little or no clothing, according to Luke chapter eight, verse 27. So I want you in your mind to think this morning as you paint this picture in mentally in your mind of this man and his terrible life. The devil has not made his life better. The, light, the devil's made his life bitter. The devil has not improved this man's life or his living. He's made his life miserable. And, and he's not, he has no one else around him. He's deranged. He's dangerous. From the description of this man, we find his life was in shambles. What's stated of him is certainly could be reminiscent to what we find in Daniel chapter 4, where King Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and was driven from among men and found himself living in the wilderness. You know, we're living in a day and age when people are trying to sell the idea that uh, the worship of Satan is harmless. There are people today who are caught up in what we call the Wiccan religion or the Wiccan faith, and it's the, the worship of the devil. And they like to think that it's no different than biblical Christianity. It's just some kind of harmless type of thing, and you, get, you can go there and worship Satan, and it's okay. Well, I'm here to tell you it's not harmless, and it's not okay, because it's, it's against God. It's against the truth of God's Word. And, and Satan, obviously, is trying to destroy people. Perhaps you know people today who are hooked on drugs, or alcohol, or some other sexual or, or, or pornographic addiction. These are, obviously, these are ways that the devil makes his way into people's lives. I'm telling you, as I think about the, 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 the uh, addictions that are in our world today, those are really just inroads of the devil to destroy people's lives, much like he destroyed this man. Would you notice then, thirdly today, would you notice the response of Jesus to this whole thing? As so we think about this man's approach, we think about his life, notice that Jesus' response to this man was without fear. Jesus, as the God-man, had no fear. I remember it was somewhat popular several years ago. You'd see the statement, no fear. In other words, people are saying, I don't fear anything. The truth of the matter is most people fear things. Uh, we have these phobias, you know, whether it's uh, acrophobia, the fear of heights, or claustrophobia, fear of being in closed places, or uh, some people are afraid of fire and others are afraid of other things. But truthfully, you know, most people have fears. They, there are things that we fear. There are things that we don't like. We, things that we would just as soon not have to, have to do. I, uh, I, I don't know that I'm so fearful of heights as much as I am being in an airplane and have to jump out of one. I, I don't know if that would be a fun thing to do. Some people get great thrill out of that, put a strap on a parachute, get up in about you know, uh, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 feet jumping out of an airplane. That's a waste of a perfectly good airplane to me, uh, jumping out of one. Uh, and and uh, so that's not something I'd like to do. It's not something I, I would find thrilling. Well, it'd be thrilling, but not in a good way. Uh, and so as we, we think about that, but when we think about Christ, he had no fear. He, he had no fear in, in the sense that he feared any man or anything in this world. He wasn't afraid of this man or the demons that had have in his body. He didn't back away or cower from the confrontation. I'm so glad that I serve a God who is sovereign and omnipotent. Jesus, as God-man, was willing to subject himself, think about this, to just one person. It was to his Father. He came to submit his life to his Father. He did that in order to accomplish the plan of redemption. It was voluntary and willful subjection. Other than that, there is no one else that Jesus, or no other creature that Jesus 
feared or was subjected to, but God himself, his father, to accomplish his plan and his purpose to provide our redemption. So he approached this man without fear. Notice that he approaches this man with compassion. Jesus didn't have to come across the Sea of Galilee. He could have stayed on the other side. But he willfully and purposely, there seems to be only one reason that he would come across this ocean and face the danger of that storm was for this man. He did it for this man whose life was in turmoil. We're not told, but perhaps a loved one or or loved ones were praying for this man. So often during the life of Jesus, he would be approached by loved ones of, of folks whose lives were in turmoil. Uh, they many times would come and say, could you help my son or my daughter? Can you come and heal them? They're sick nigh unto death. And Jesus would go and do that. But perhaps someone didn't physically approach Jesus and say, my son or my husband or my brother's in trouble. But they were on their knees saying, God, your son is here and he can do great things. And my brother, my husband, my, my, uh, my, uh, my son is in trouble. And Lord, if you could get him to him, he could change his life. Some of you find yourself perhaps continually praying to God to intervene in the, in the life of someone you know who's in trouble. They don't have to be possessed with a demon. They can just be caught up in the world, can't they? They can just be somewhat oblivious to the fact that there's a God who loves them and cares about them. But they could be lost in religion today. There are people that go to church every place, whether it's in New York City or Cleveland, Ohio, or across the United States of America. They're in churches that are dead. There's nothing going on. There's no gospel being sh- shared. There's no really hope. It's all, well, you're religious. That's good enough. And that's not good enough. But maybe you're praying for someone like that who's caught up in religion but has no relationship with Jesus Christ. You're praying that God will intervene in their life or that someone will come to them uh, in, in a time of trouble and, and will help them. So, uh, again, we understand that, uh, you know, we care. We, those of us who care about spiritual things... You know, again, I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who who is there to help us in, in helping other people. This passage ought to encourage us to keep on praying for those that we care about. But you notice that Jesus approaches this man not only with compassion, but also with complete and total deliverance. Jesus delivers this man, and notice he commands the, the demons to leave according to verse number 8. It says, and he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he's, he gives them permission in verses 13 or 11 through 13 to go into the swine. Now, someone may say, well, you know, you know, really, is that necessary? Is it really necessary that Jesus would allow these, this, these demons to go into the swine? Now, I want you to remember something that this, while this was a, a place that was inhabited by Gentiles, it was still was the land of Israel. This was still part of the promised land. And the fact of the matter is the law com, uh, would condemn anyone who would would handle swine or, or would raise swine. And so as a result of the fact that Jesus allows the, these demons to be set free and these animals are destroyed, and, and it's not like God doesn't care about animals, but the truth of the matter is an, a man's life is more valuable than an animal's life. God cares more about people than he does about animals. Not that he discare, doesn't care about animals, but he's just saying men are, men are more valuable. I know we're living in a world where people don't think that today, but it's still true because God says it's true. And so we understand it's amazing what Jesus can do in a life. Your life doesn't have to be demon-possessed for Christ to change you, help you, to encourage you, and give you a compelling purpose for which to live. Then I want you to also notice that 
Jesus, obviously, his response was also in compliance with this town's request. Look at verse 17. They began to pray him to depart out of their coast. This town's people were fearful of Jesus. See, from my understanding is they've tried to handle this guy. Uh, they they tried to bind him with fetters and chains. They, they thought we, we, somehow we can control him. If we can get him under control, we can handle him. He won't be a menace to us anymore. And every time they tried, they failed. And he'd break the, the, the fetters and the chains. And his life continued to be in a mess. And he would, he would obviously intimidate the people. And, and so they just didn't know what to think. And, and here comes Jesus. And, and immediately as they come, as they approach, the Bible tells us that he find this man clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And rather than being in awe of that, they're fearful of him. We think about the fact that they, they ask Jesus to leave. Can I tell you that Jesus won't stay where he isn't welcomed? So he complies with the request. What a powerful Savior. I want you to know that there's no life that's too far gone that Jesus can't change. And it's as simple as repent of your sin, place your faith and trust in the gospel and allow God to change you. I want you to see that God gives this man a purpose. Look at verse number 19. This man in verse, uh, obviously, uh, you know, wants to stay with Jesus. But notice Jesus says, how be it Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. So here's a man who has a purpose. While he wants to be with Jesus, why he wants to follow him because his life has been changed, the Lord says, I'll give, you, I'll give you a purpose. I want you to go back home. I want you to go back to your, your place where you used to be. And I want you to show them how great things the Lord has done. And the idea is that he would go and he would share his testimony with others. As I bring this message to a conclusion today, I want to share with you that God has given us a purpose. You're saved today. God has saved your soul. God's purpose in our life is not just to take our, our, the light of the gospel and hide it under a bushel. No, the Bible says that we're to, we're to lift, put it on a candle stand, uh, stand and let that light shine to all in, in, the, in the house and all in the room. And so tomorrow as you go to the workplace, today as you go back to the neighborhood, uh, today as you're going about your business, the Bible says that our light of Christ ought to shine through us and we ought to have a testimony to share our faith with other people. I, I know that many of you perhaps have unsaved loved ones. I want, I want to encourage you, don't quit praying for them. Don't be discouraged when sometimes when you say, well, I don't see anything happening. No, every day as you get on your face before God, every time that you find yourself in your prayer closet, I'm telling you, you need to keep praying for God. Some of them may be in trouble today. They, they may be caught up in some things today that God alone can set them free from. But I'm telling you that God can bring people into their life. God can bring things to bear into their life that will prepare them for the receiving of the gospel. And, and, and you know, you just never know what God may do. I can tell you of many stories through the years of people whose lives have been greatly impacted because someone shared Jesus Christ with them. Several years ago, I had a man walk into my office at the church, and he had already been saved. His name was Walter Stevens. I don't know if you folks have met Walter or not, but Walter is a, a gypsy. His family goes back to Eastern Europe. It's part of what we know as the Roma people. And Walter came walking into my office. He had been saved in a, in a town called New Carlisle, Ohio, which is down in southern Ohio, just outside of Dayton. And a preacher there had witnessed to him, but his life for years had been steeped in 
what the Roman people do. He, he ran carnivals. He, he had a, a carnival business. He had rides and things like that. And his wife was a, a fortune teller. And amongst the gypsy people, the, the, the way that a woman was valued, they still pay what is known as a dowry and they'd enter into arranged marriages and they would make arrangements. And so Walter paid a lot of money for his wife, Dolly, because she was a really good fortune teller. She could make a lot of money. And so he paid a lot of money for her. And so they were kind of caught up in this demonic, really the demonic type of activity. And yet the, the Lord stepped into Walter's life and saved him. And not only did he save him, but he put a burden on him to reach his own people for the gospel with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Walter came to Cleveland because his preacher helped train him, but there was an enclave of, of gypsy people living there in northeast Ohio, about 450, 500 of them, who had no gospel witness as far as we know. They, some of them were, were religious, they would go to churches, but uh, they're very clannish people, and so they, they really kind of stick to themselves, they don't trust anyone. And Walter, because he was saved, he wanted to reach his people. And so he began a ministry at the Cleveland Baptist Church of the Gypsy, we call it the Gypsy Outreach Ministry. And through the years, we've seen literally uh, several hundred people come to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Walter left and went down to, to Florida and from Florida went over to Europe. And, 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 and because of his burden, I'm telling you that hundreds, if not thousands now of Gypsy people have been set free from from the oppression of, of, their, uh, of their past and the things that have, have been a problem for them and now have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's all because someone had a burden and realized a purpose for their life. And I'm here to tell you today that there is a God in heaven that has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me. And God wants to set us free. He wants us to, he wants us to, to, to know the abundant Christian life. And if you're today feel like, man, I, I, I'm... I don't know this church, so there may be some folks here today that are unsaved. I'm just here to tell you, there's a God in heaven who has come to save you. He wants to make your life better, not bitter. He's come to make your life better and, and not worse. He's come to give you uh, the abundant life. But you've got to come to Him. You've got to receive Him. You've got to humble yourself before Him. And if you're saved, God has a purpose for your being saved. He didn't just save you to take you to heaven. He saved you so that you can be a witness for Him and share the gospel message with those who you come in contact with. It's rightly been said that for some of us, we may be the only Bible some people will ever read. And may God help us to be an accurate version of, of what God is saying. May we share the gospel message as God gives us opportunity. I find in this story a great story of God's great power. He is a powerful Savior. If you've never been saved, He can save you today and change your life. Would you bow your heads together with me? In prayer, thank you for listening today. Thank you for being a part of this service. As we think about the message, we think about the fact that our Savior is powerful. He is powerful. Some of you today may be here and not sure of your own salvation. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ saves. He saves. Every person that's saved in this room can give testimony of the fact of how God found them. You didn't find Christ, He found you. He began to work in your life using things to draw you to Himself. And if you're here today and this church service and lost, you're not here by accident. You're here because God drew you here. He used things to get you here, to bring you under the influence of the gospel. And if you're not certain of your salvation today, I want to encourage you that before you leave this building this morning, as we extend what we call the invitation, that you be willing to leave your seat and come 
and let someone take a Bible and share with you out of God's Word how you can be absolutely certain of your salvation. Some of you sitting here today, you're saved, but perhaps you're not really fulfilling your purpose. You're not sharing Christ as you ought to. Perhaps you've let the world intimidate you. Maybe you've been hindered. Maybe you need to put on that spiritual armament that we talked about from the book of Ephesians. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And the only way we can defeat them, the only way we can have victory is by putting on the spiritual armament. Maybe today you need to come and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been the spiritual warrior that I ought to be. And I'm asking for your help today that I may robe myself in the armament that you prepared so that I may go do battle for you in the world in which I'm living, that I may be used of you to accomplish your purpose in this world. Some of you perhaps have someone that you care about today who's in trouble. They're lost. Maybe they're steeped in some sin or they're held by the grips of Satan himself in some terrible element of life. Can I tell you that your prayers are not in vain? Perhaps you need to find yourself at an altar this morning saying, God, can you help my loved one? Can you help my friend? Can you help my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my husband, my wife, my children? God, please work. Help me, Lord, to know what I should do, that I may be a tool to help them to come to know you as the Lord and Savior. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I want to encourage you today, as God has spoken to your heart, that you make the decision today that you know God wants you to make in this service. Would you stand with me for prayer today, Father? We're grateful this morning to call you our Heavenly Father. Lord, as I have been saved for many years, I'm grateful, Lord, for the blessings that you have bestowed. Lord, I never want to get used to the fact that I'm saved. I never want to get used to the fact that I've been set free from the power of sin and Satan. Lord, I pray today for the folks that are here. I pray that they would understand, Lord, if there's someone here today that's lost, I pray that they'd understand that they need to be saved today in this place. They can know Christ. Their life can be different. Lord, I'm praying for the Christian that perhaps needs to step up in this spiritual battle. Lord, by, again, robing themselves in armament, Lord, that you have provided. And Lord, I'm praying for those Christians that may be here who have loved ones and friends, Lord, who are in trouble today. And Lord, you're working in their heart Lord, I pray that they'd be willing today to continue to pray, to seek your face, that they may be a tool and instrument. And Lord, that you may use their prayers to bring things to bear in the life of those that they love, that they may be saved. Lord, thank you that you're more powerful than the devil. Thank you that you have all power. And Lord, that you can help us to be your tools and your instruments to accomplish your purpose in this world. We pray your blessings now, Lord, on this invitation, for we ask it in Christ's name. So our heads are bowed, and as Pastor Montoro comes, encourage you today, as God has spoken to your heart, perhaps you need to make your way to the altar, perhaps someone needs to be saved today. There's an opportunity in this place as for us to do some business with God. Can I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit of God do the work that needs to be done? Pastor Montoro, you lead us, if you would.